This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest, the place to convey strong ideas and, at times, the casual controversy. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Opinionated. This is Danny Nelson. I'm here with Anna Bidakova. Hello, everyone. And Ben Schiller. That's me. And today <laughs> we are talking about a Bitcoin of all things, the leading Bitcoin. Really? Asset. Are we talking about Bitcoin today? We're talking about Bitcoin. You know why? Because today we're hitting an all-time high. Last I check, it had broken through key support at $64,420. And 69 cents. I'm not even kidding. That's where I saw it. And it were above 65, maybe going towards 66 as we record right now. This uh, is history in the making. This here. is we, just we, charging upwards as is. we speak. Yes, the green candles abound. And it, it's <laughs> worth noting that yesterday there was a pretty monumental day for the history of Bitcoin becoming a mainstream asset that is accessible to the traditional markets with the launch of ProShares. Bitcoin futures ETF. And that has sparked a broader conversation about the value that a Bitcoin futures ETF brings to the market, Bitcoin ETF more generally, compared to just purchasing Bitcoin. Today, we have a perfect guest to discuss that interplay. Karan Sood, the CEO of Sibo Vest. That's a, a company, an investments company that has put out a Bitcoin linked mutual fund in fact, they did this before the launch of the Futures ETF, which gets all the, the press, but they were sooner to market. So Karan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Danny. Great to be here. Yeah. And so today, I think that you're going to be our guide in understanding why investors might want to participate in the Bitcoin markets or rather get exposure to the Bitcoin price through Bitcoin futures products. And yeah, we're excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just hard to deny the interest, larger interest, either culturally or even from an investment perspective that Bitcoin has garnered over the last decade or so, right? And with each passing year, it seems to be getting a lot more interest. And so it's not surprising to see more investors, more participants co-opted into the crypto space. I think last I checked, there were, it was in hundreds of millions, a number of individuals that are directly or indirectly connected to the crypto space. The asset class is over 2 trillion in capitalization, of which uh, Bitcoin makes more than half of, of it. And so those are sort of undeniable numbers. It's, you know, you could be somebody who is technologically really enamored by that now famous paper that came out in 2008 and just look at the technological feat that it it accomplishes or you could just look at the the interest and the collection of people who are participating in this it's hard not to get it associated with it it's hard not to to participate in it and so it's hard to imagine that you have more and more vehicles now that provide investors access to this space 
just wondering why particularly a mutual fund for this rather than uh, investing directly? I mean, obviously, as you say, it's undeniable that there's interest out there, but why have this proxy product rather than investing directly? Yeah, I don't think you would want to frame necessarily the conversation as one over the other. I mean, of course, there are large segments of the marketplace who would prefer to invest directly. And there are others who either cannot or have certain perspectives to how they invest. And so they would not. And I can speak to some of that stuff, right? So I think you characterized it earlier, Danny, as sort of the institutional adoption of Bitcoin. And a lot of these institutions, they have built their investment infrastructure with a certain kind of plumbing, which just doesn't fit well with a direct investment. That could be just operational in nature, which could be, you know, Bitcoin by design has this very unique custody function, which is very decentralized. It sort of pushes the custody to the investor at, at its, you know, fundamental base layer, which imposes on the investor, or the participant, the burden of storing keys as evidence of their ownership of Bitcoin. Nothing like that exists in, in the more centralized system, uh, which has existed for over a century in its, in its modern format in the, the last 80 years. And then built on top of that fundamental operational layer is a lot of regulatory components, which try to bring investor protection, which try to bring financial integrity and stability to the system. And so a lot of institutions which operate on that side have co-opted to that system and they would like to have access so that it fits into their conventional way of investment and the convention plumbing. So then with the two types of ETF products that the market is interested in and pursuing, historically, asset managers and fund shops have tried to get a spot Bitcoin ETF that would actually hold and custody or work with the custodian to hold the asset and then have direct exposure to the price of that asset. What has arisen through, I think, months of kind of telegraphing from uh, SEC, the SEC chair, and ultimately now with the launch of ProShares. And in fact, Van Eck, just a couple of minutes ago, has filed its post-effective amendment. So Van Eck will be coming shortly down the pipeline as well. Is that a Bitcoin futures ETF, specifically one that follows a certain law called the Investment Act of 1940, is more preferable, at least at the moment, than a spot Bitcoin ETF? And I think that you might actually share some of the beliefs of the SEC that this might actually be preferable to investors. Maybe the reasons that you think that are different, I think that the SEC is, of course, not interested in what is going to yield the best returns, rather what they believe will have the most protection for investors. But where do you stand in that conversation of what's preferable, a Bitcoin futures ETF or a spot ETF? Yeah, so just going back to the analogy I was drawing between like almost a crypto system or a crypto economy. And then you have the, the modern capital markets, perhaps by some measure, not so modern capital markets, but the more conventional capital markets where most institutions operate. There is a rich history of regulation, legislation, including probably the highest standard in, in the US for pooled investment vehicles, which are what effectively funds are, which is the law you refer to, the Investment Company Act of 1940, which has a high standard of 
investor protection, addressing conflict of interest, and ensuring liquidity of the underlying investment so that you don't have a run on the fund, as an example. It takes for granted that the underlying securities that the funds will invest in have also in turn a lot of oversight. Where I think the direct trading of Bitcoin, direct investing in Bitcoin fails in meeting this standard is that the trading and custody function of directly holding Bitcoin is not regulated, right? So securities and and cash, when they're regulated, and again, when I say not regulated, perhaps, you know, I shouldn't be so digital about it. It's not regulated to that extent to which, you know, when you hold cash in a bank or you hold securities in a broker-dealer, uh, how, how that function is regulated, and then how trading of it happens over a lit market, where there is full visibility to the trade. There is, you know, any trade that happens in a regulated securities exchange today happens at the nationwide best bid offer or inside of it. There is a complete data visibility to where the trade is happening. Investors, third parties, independent firms, regulators have the ability to audit that. And there is a really big enforcement infrastructure, which looks and for bad actors, punishes them. That doesn't exist today in the crypto market. And as a result, you know, it's been harder for the SEC to believe that this system, this infrastructure meets the standards of the Investment Company Act of 1940. Whereas the futures do, right? Because the futures, they trade on the same exchange on which the S&P 500 futures trade uh, on which the gold features trade, the crude oil features trade. And again, you have the decades-old infrastructure updated all the time, enforcement infrastructure, regulatory oversight infrastructure, investor protection infrastructure, which provides the, the protection, the, the certainty around protection, the uh, comfort effectively that the regulators need to allow a product. I want to ask a provocative question. What if I say that Bitcoin itself kind of has this consumer protection embedded in the whole idea because you can take the full responsibility of your fund, uh, you can design the way you're storing it, and you don't really need any agency, anybody else to protect your investment because you're in full control of it. Can you just talk about that in comparison to the regulated institutional outset you just mentioned? Yeah. I can see the theoretical appeal of the argument you're making, but, but I think, you know, there's so many details around simple things like when I exchange dollars for Bitcoin on one of these online trading platforms, how is my order getting filled? Who is the, on the other side of the order? Is there a conflict that some participant has and how is that conflict being managed? Like, you know, for example, there is this reg NMS regulation in securities market where if I want to trade my favorite stock in my brokerage account and the trade gets routed to a particular exchange, but there's a better price at another exchange that requires the order to be filled at the other exchange. So an exchange couldn't take the other side of the order itself. That would be a high level of conflict. Now, you could appeal to the market function, the competitive elements between the exchanges, or maybe the good nature of people to not do that. But there's nothing in regulation that prevents that from happening in the crypto space today, the way it does in the security space. And I think that's the level of comfort which you have in the regulated lit markets trading, which is lacking. And that's one example. I'm mean, several more I can go into. 
But a retail investor doesn't know what's happening inside of the traditional markets too. And, you know, the story of people using, you know, super high speed systems to front run funds and retail users is well documented. So maybe we can talk about some regulations that crypto can inherit from, from the traditional markets. But I'm not sure that in this sense, you know, the institutionalized regulated setup is much more different from, you know, just buying Bitcoin and storing it. Right, so there are a couple of ways to look at it. One, yes, like I don't think I'm suggesting that the institutional marketplace or the conventional capital markets as they exist today are foolproof against fraud and against manipulation. You alluded to a couple of things up there. But, but there is a regulatory infrastructure in place to address that. There is enforcement of these laws. There's policing. Bad actors are found and punished, right? Like that's, as an example, lacking. You're totally dependent on the market function. And then if you look at it from a more libertarian market function perspective too, there is a burden being imposed, as you said, just buy the Bitcoin and hold it. But there is a burden being imposed on you. Even if it's as simple as that, you have to figure out a custody solution. You have to figure out that your keys are not getting hacked or lost. You have to figure out that if you were to ever liquidate that, you're going to get a fair price for that liquidation. You have to find out among 10 different exchanges, which one is the one which is going to offer me the most secure and conflict-free pricing, right? And even modern capital markets that someday actually began there. And I think a lot of crypto is also about learning the lessons that have already been learned in the past, or maybe taking it somewhat of a different path. But the reason why the system works the way it does today is because it had gone through a path similar to that crypto is going through today and built a regulatory infrastructure to address that. I'm not saying that's the only possible path, there could be other elements of the infrastructure that could address these challenges for investors, but they exist today. Yeah. So I have to say, personally, I feel a little bit conflicted about this whole ETF thing, because on the one hand, it seems like a milestone on a road to adoption and something that the industry has been looking forward to a long time. You know, this kind of Wall Street acceptance, the mainstreaming of this asset class. On the other hand, it does feel like the whole sort of dream of the cypherpunks and the kind of people who dreamt of a different system coming out of the financial crash of 08, and people who question the basic imbalance of the financial system that we have. We're kind of losing that revolutionary moment, and we're just creating this asset that is traded like any other asset, like uh, wheat or, or barley or pork features. And, and we're kind of losing that spirit and, and that thing that made Bitcoin special. How do you feel about that as someone who is maybe doing a lot to kind of mainstream this thing, but it's becoming a bit boring, maybe. Yeah, I, I think the irony is not lost in me that you have this decentralized infrastructure built on this new way of thinking about money. And then you have this centralization of this decentralized asset right. trading on a single exchange through a single investment company. It is the reality, right? I mean, I, I think of it one perspective to have on it is that there is this crypto economy and then there is the, the more conventional capital markets economy and their plumbing is different and, and, and the, the, the way they operate each of these two economies is different. There is desire on both sides to somehow connect the plumbing to unleash perhaps the next leg of growth where they shouldn't necessarily be these two separate economies. They should, it should be you know, all one together. 
Right. And so, like you said, there is a certain desire from perhaps the crypto economy to have wider adoption. And, and then similarly, from perhaps the more capital market investment perspective, which I represent, we are out looking at the crypto economy and see a couple of interesting things happen. It's a long list, but you know, to rattle off a couple of things, you know, Bitcoin has a certain appeal to as a hedge against the challenges that US dollar might face as as a mainstream currency or a reserve currency yeah. uh, or a store of value, if not that, as a proxy or a beta to participate in the crypto economy. So you're sitting out and you use Bitcoin as an investment to uh, and, and hope for its appreciation on the back of the crypto economy getting bigger. And so I think of it as one of the tentative steps in the process. I, I think there is a short-term appeal to that on both sides. But yeah, like in the long, longer term, in the long scheme of things, I think we will probably look back at this step as a very trivial step in the integration of the two economies. But it's hard to know whether, you know, crypto is affecting traditional finance or whether traditional finance is affecting crypto, you know, and who's kind of changing who here. I guess it's a, kind of a, a synergistic process and we'll, uh, we'll end up with something new, which we don't understand yet. I don't know if, if traditional finance has affected crypto so much in this, and neither did crypto affect traditional finance the other way around. At least in this instance, you know, one of the biggest issues that the SEC has had with an ETF is with how they understand the Bitcoin, how the Bitcoin market trades, as Karan spoke about earlier. And so the solution to that problem wasn't some broader push to regulate Bitcoin more closely. It's not like we could have some coordinated effort to do that. That's not really how the SEC works with Congress, but it, I mean, presumably we could get to that point in some way, but the way that the SEC and the way that fund managers have solved the, how do we get Bitcoin into the traditional economy or get Bitcoin exposure more accessible is by wrapping it in a regulated product in the futures market. So I think that it's almost like a, a stalemate in a sort of way where neither one is really making any concessions. I'm interested to see how that develops. Yeah, and I would say, I think the ETF, the mutual fund we offer, is really just looking at the investment use case, right? I mean, crypto can be, its utility is just beyond an investment, right? Like there's this program, programmable element of money that's possible in the crypto space. There's this instantaneous settlement that doesn't exist in traditional finance. So there are several other elements of crypto that appeal to investors beyond to just you know participants in the marketplace beyond just the investment use case. But purely from an investment use case, the access to the crypto space through these ETFs and futures and mutual funds is actually very synthetic if you look at it. Like there's no Bitcoin being actually bought. Right. But it's here's a synthetic future instrument that is linked to Bitcoin. And then here is a pooled investment vehicle, like our mutual fund of the ETFs that are being launched that package these futures into a pooled investment. So it is still one step removed. That's why I think it's a bit of a tentative step. And there's truth in what you're saying, Danny, about maybe not as strong of a, of a step to integrate the two economies. Maybe if that's true, uh, we shouldn't be so excited about this ETF as, as a kind of milestone of, of Bitcoin adoption, because from what you're saying, it's not really investing in Bitcoin. It's really investing in kind of a synecdoche for, for Bitcoin, a kind of proxy for Bitcoin. 
Yeah, and also Bitcoin in itself is a bunch of different things, right? It's not just an investment tool. It's also it's a decentralized, non-censorable global technology that has its own ideology and very specific reasons why people buy Bitcoin in different parts of the world, even if investment is not their primary goal. So, you know, talking about two worlds meeting, do you think that people buying investment, like synthetic investment products based on Bitcoin, can we say basically that these people do not care about other parts of Bitcoin other than its price, but they are joining the space and they start impacting the narrative and impacting the whole political situation around crypto. So should we even let them in if the only thing about Bitcoin they care about is the price? Well, I would actually, before, I want to just say one thing on that point. I do think that this doesn't go against your point, Anna, but the way when I'm thinking about like what the value of, of this type of product is to me, I mean, I'm not, I'm in the, obviously in the camp that the Bitcoin has further utility and I would rather own it myself. However, let's think about from a taxation perspective, I would rather, if I want to have Bitcoin in my retirement account, let's say, I would definitely much rather let's say, get into a Bitcoin ETF, I would rather, I'd, I want to have that access through my retirement account and buying Bitcoin. I can't go to Coinbase with my, my 401k or with my retirement account and buy it there. And so I think that even for people who like Bitcoin for all those other aspects, there is one very strong instance where they might want to seek exposure and that might be through the retirement accounts. And that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's something that really is only just now opening up. What if Bitcoin is your retirement account well, right there on that flash drive? In, well, that's, in, in... that's also true. But I'd, I'd rather, I've got a whole bunch of money that I've also decided is sitting out on the sidelines of my life in a separate pot. And I would like some Bitcoin exposure there as well. But actually, I, w I still want to hear what Karan thinking uh, about letting in people who only care about the price. Yeah, uh, you are right that a large constituent of the marketplace that is interested in these funds and these ETFs are their primary motivation is the price. But I think in any system, it benefits from having a diversity of market participants, right? So I, I think to Ben's point, you know, maybe we shouldn't be celebrating this. I think it's a, it's a small step in the giant leap that's possible but it's an important step, right? Like that giant leap is, is actually made up of small, several steps. And this is one of those where you have, because of this mainstream technology, ETF, mutual funds, adopting and providing access to this non-mainstream emerging technology, Bitcoin, it has the ability to bring in these market participants who provide liquidity to the marketplace who maybe some of them get interested enough and start looking at the other elements of Bitcoin or crypto that appeal to them and, and become wider adopters. Or to your point, Anna, it creates the, it, it shapes the narrative, you know, and it creates a more smoother pathway for what's coming next. Perhaps I am one of those outsiders that you want to keep, uh, keep out. But, you know, I, I take a little bit of a dispassionate view to this because part of my job is to bring interesting investment asset classes to the financial professional market. And so I sometimes think of it as yet another 
asset class. And, and if I look at the history of those other asset classes or at times when I've represented interests, which I was passionate about, I've always felt the system improves largely if there's more entropy in the system and there's more wider diversity of market participants expressing different views, including speculators. Sorry, I, I wasn't saying you're an outsider and we're insiders or, or anything like that. I think it's it's a family and it's a movement. And It I was can, me who was talking about outsiders. Anna, Anna wants right. no one but the purists. I, I That's right. I completely agree with you that it, it takes a village and, and all kinds of people to, to make this work. I, I was just sort of commenting on a kind of more cultural moment where we, we've come a long way from that original dream. And sometimes it feels like the dream is uh, slipping away somewhat or being muddied a little bit. But, yeah, uh, I think so, from, so, a, from a maybe from a, just from a crypto perspective, it's maybe not as much of a big deal. But for the more traditional finance perspective, to have the ability to access the space in a mutual fund or an ETF, finally, with all the projections of the Investment Company Act, and finally fit into the plumbing, you know, to Danny's point, to to go into his retirement portfolio that he maintains on the traditional finance side. It is a big deal for for us, <laughs> for maybe not for you guys, but for us it is. So, so anyway, I think that's a good point to, place to wrap. I got to say, Karan, if you're ever in town, I think you could sleep on Ben or my couch. Don't know so much about Anna's. Um, so <laughs> only thank- if you're in Moscow, Karan. Only if he's you know, in funny story. I've been to Moscow, and I went to Moscow as a poorer person, and I did crash on someone's couch. I, I would. How was it? applaud the amazing hospitality that the Russians and particularly natives of Moscow have towards outsiders. So, Well, Anna is the outlier in that respect. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, you'll have to pay the Bitcoin fare to get in. Thank you so much. That was Karan Sud, the CEO of Sibo Vest, talking about Bitcoin futures, ETFs, mutual funds, it's a pretty big day today again with the Bitcoin all-time high. How are we feeling? You guys about to ape into Bitcoin futures ETFs? I mean, uh, I still like to invest directly myself. I'm an old believer. I want to have my Bitcoin and be able to see it. Woo! Here we have a bunch of old school Bitcoiners. I'm kind of always a bit perplexed about this Bitcoin-based investment tools because I'm like, you know, for me, Bitcoin is, is the kind of money that can, uh, you know, support you off the grid. Or if the grid becomes completely broken and doesn't hold you anymore, it's like your safety net. And then why do you want to so badly to incorporate that, you know, safety tool into the world that it's supposed to protect against? So I would agree with Ben that it's, for me too, it's much more exciting to just get the Bitcoin itself. Even though now it's so expensive, you know, the downside of the bull market is that, guys, if you weren't fast enough to invest before, now it's so damn expensive. I, I think I, we, what we need is we need China to ban Bitcoin again. That's all, honestly. But that doesn't the, work anymore. No, it, it doesn't does, work well, anymore. It, it works to, to cause it, 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 Bitcoin drops 10 percent and then it immediately comes back up. This has happened five or six times now. So what if, if, we, what if, if you we, want a discount, you got to get China to ban Bitcoin again. What if we employ the, the good old Elon Musk to tweet something? Well, then we're going to have a, like a four month to six month bear market. So we don't want that. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think what I was trying to get at was that, you know, okay, there's, there's a kind of a price story here and there's a kind of institutional adoption story that, that we're all sort of supportive of broadly. But 
that's kind of not the only reason why we got into Bitcoin originally. I mean, it was supposed to be about fixing something fundamental in the political uh, economic system. And, you know, when we see Bitcoin just becoming another product on, on the financial markets, it doesn't feel like we're really making any change there. We're just uh, doing the same old stuff as, as before. And I, I'm, not, I'm not against the ETFs for, for Bitcoin. I think that's great. But we shouldn't lose sight of the bigger picture here. And it's not all about the price. It's not all about adoption. It is about something fundamentally wrong in the system that we're trying to fix. You know? Yeah, and this doesn't do anything to fix that. A Bitcoin, even a freaking spot Bitcoin ETF product, that doesn't do anything to further Bitcoin with the capital B. It just makes number go up and it lets more people enjoy number go up. And that's not a bad thing, but it's also not a, I don't want to say productive. It does not jive with the reason for being of Bitcoin. You know, I got in because Bitcoin helped me buy things online that I wasn't supposed to have. It was very useful for that. This was a very long time ago. I've, I've st I still like it because the number go up. As I can't go on to sketchy internet websites with my Bitcoin mutual fund and trade it for God knows what. It's just not possible. What was this? So like baseball collectibles or something you were buying? Something. <laughs> <laughs> Dark side of Danny. What kind of other NFTs did you buy? No um, comment. But, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, I, I hate people who in the Bitcoin space who, who have this kind of very ideological, sort of closed ideological kind of thinking where you're only supposed to be in Bitcoin for certain types of reasons. I mean, I think that's wrong as well. And I completely agree with Karen that there should be a diversity out there. But the sort of ideology of the ETF is, is, is sort of one version of that other ideology, i.e. it's kind of closed-minded, you're supposed to only think about the price. So anyway, I don't know what to say. I'm rambling here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what I was trying to say is that, you know, that you have the Maxis on the one hand who believe Bitcoin should be this kind of ideological, political instrument, but this ETF logic is also quite ideological. It's about framing Bitcoin around a price go up narrative. So let me ask the group a question here. Is Bitcoin getting boring? Exactly. Well, in this context, for me, it is getting boring. Well, like, this is if, the context, we only talk right? This, about is the the, this is the narrative of the day, right? Like we are in ETF land. We're talking about, we're watching Jim Cramer talk about his, his massive bags on CNBC. We're hearing Gary Gensler say whatever the hell he does on, on the television. We're not talking about people supporting Bitcoin devs. Most of the people who are going to be buying this product, I'd say 95 to 98%, probably more, honestly, because this, a lot of the purchases of this kind of product are going to be driven by funds, probably, don't even know what a Bitcoin developer is. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, sure that all that that's, is still happening. But, but that's, what ex that's exactly what I mean, that every group of people that joins the Bitcoin community impacts the narrative in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. And these new groups can be more or less powerful. And, you know, Rich people uh, with political connections are usually powerful. And talking about the diversity, Ben, when would you call diversity when, you know, a, a corporate workers union is joined by a group delegated by the top management? Of course, they have their perspective, but, but their goals are kind of opposite of the whole movement they're joining. So in this sense, if a group is joining the community with the same goal as the community initially had, this is fine. But when a group is joining and is imposing different rules on the whole movement, that's, that's a different story. But, you know, another thing is that Bitcoin is old now. 
It's 12 years. The Bitcoin's birthday, October 31, is coming. Like Bitcoin is about to become 12, and it's been pretty resilient to any corrupting influences so far. So maybe it can handle it all and still be, you know, that Bitcoin people believe in. Yeah. I mean, I have to say there's nothing more boring than people talking about how rich they are. And uh, oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot of that on Twitter about this all time high. It's basically people saying, I got in early and now I'm rich. And, you know, that that is just fundamentally boring. So, so annoying. Uh, see, see, that's why we're all journalists, because uh, while everyone because else we getting, don't have much well, Bitcoin. Well, no, well, no, it's not. That, it's not. That it's we're 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 too dumb to trade the coins. And so we're not going to make it. And everyone we report on is getting hilariously rich, except for us. Um, <laughs> and we just are OK with it because that's what that's what happens. Because we're here for the ride. We're here. We, we're here because it's more interesting than anything else. And that's still true, even though the the narrative around you know the 40 act and this is a fund or that fund i mean anna there's a reason why our first podcast on, on regulation didn't make it it's because no one cared and this one <laughs> this this one we talk about the the tech and the society and all that and the, the coins and number go up so this uh, you know bitcoin futures it's going to continue to be a really big part of the bitcoin narrative it's not going to be the only one it's just the biggest one at the moment Let's not talk about our podcast Jaded Past and talk about everyone's Jaded Bitcoin Past. Yes, I like Jade. It's pretty mineral. On that point, we should probably wrap up. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to another week at Opinionated. I've been Danny Nelson with Anna Bidakova and Ben Schiller. Please smash that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app of choice. I like Pocket Casts. Give Coindesk a follow on the Twitterverse. Check us out at coindust.com forward slash opinionated. Hope I got that right. And see you all next week. Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Badakova, Danny Nelson, and guest Karan Sood. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Adrian Blust. Our theme song is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>